You've been listening to Monsters, Madness, and Magic. This is Alan Wake signing off. Remember, folks, it's not a lake. It's an ocean. Alright, folks. Welcome to the Monsters, Madness, and Magic podcast. I'm your host, Justin, here with a quick word before we dive in. Now, on this episode, I chat with writer and creative director at Remedy Entertainment, Sam Lake, about Alan Wake 2, horror fiction, The Twilight Zone, Max Payne, his creative process, and more. As always, thank you for listening, and if you'd like to help the show grow, please leave us a review wherever you're listening to the podcast. Anyway, without further ado, here you go. Greetings, boils and ghouls. This is your comrade, the Crypt Keeper here, reporting dead from the sanctuary of the strange. Tonight's macabre myth is a fright-filled feature, one overflowing with monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> Well, Sam, uh, like I said, big fan. And before we even get started, I just want to say, you know, my bad. I know Matthew was on the podcast and kind of slipped the date. That was me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's all good, Matt. No harm done at the end of the day. Thank you. I've I've been worried about it. I just wanted to get that up off the top, you know. (laughs) Well, uh, Sam, this is an icebreaker. I like to ask everyone just to get the party started. Uh, Take us back in time. You're a little kid. You know, are you a book reader? Fort builder, troublemaker, or all of the above? <laughs> yeah, like, like it, it. It would be cool to say troublemaker. I was a book reader more than anything. I was a daydreamer and and a book reader. That's the big theme. Like obviously built all kinds of things, but mostly in my head. So, did you have an author or maybe a genre that you leaned towards early on? Were you a fantasy guy, horror guy? I was a fantasy guy. I was a horror guy as well pretty early on. But but fantasy was a big kind of a turning point for me. I was something like 12 or 13. I discovered Lord of the Rings and and it really changed a lot of things for me. I, I just went crazy with it. Kept on reading the same book for several years. And then just was all in in fantasy for quite a few years, but reading all kinds of things, science fiction, uh, fantasy, uh, horror, and, and that led me to tabletop role playing games, and which were a big big part of my teenage years growing up, and and which in turn all of these things led me to writing. Uh, you say tabletops was your earliest experimentation creatively, I guess I guess making making yeah, short stories yeah. for campaigns. Yeah, that was it. And and I, I still feel that tabletop role-playing games are a great way to learn about interactive narrative and a really, really kind of like welcoming place for a writer who is starting out and wants to write. Because the group of players you have, they are such a thankful, welcoming audience because they just want to spend more time in that world. And if if you go through the trouble of writing stories about that, they will gladly read everything. <laughs> right. And and so so that's a great starting point, I feel, for a writer. 
and 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 also on on game design to start understanding it did you grow up in finland did you move around a lot or were you always in finland yeah i've I've always lived in finland apart for several months here and there but that's where i have always been sam what about your parents were either of them uh were they involved in the arts or creatively inclined or anything like that is that where you think you got it from well my mother had creative ambitions like wanted to get into a an art school but never did but i i always felt that she was encouraging myself and my brother both of us were drawing and painting and and kind of like i felt that that was something that that kind of like helped us he's an artist my brother drawing and 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 painting for his living and also i i my dad who was in the kind of computers and things like that he still like he read a lot to me bedtime stories growing up, which I, I felt that was a big part of me falling in love with stories and books. So when you think back to maybe uh, formative films and TV shows that you grew up on, what what pops in your mind? So many, like <laughs> growing up. And and always, I, I think that the trend is when it comes to books, when it, when it comes to TV shows, when it comes to films, I've been really kind of effective when 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 things are slightly too scary, like growing up, or, or slightly too challenging. I I feel that those were the moments that kind of like leave a mark and 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 kind of push you forward when it comes to your imagination and you know understanding of storytelling in some ways. That that those have been all kinds of like growing up. I loved science fiction shows and and films. And as said, fantasy books like endlessly and comic books as well. So you kind of just touched on this because this is another question I like to ask everybody. What scared you as a kid? I did have a very vivid imagination where I did have all kinds of nightmares, recurring nightmares as as a kid that I still remember quite vividly. Having a vivid imagination, you, you do tend to kind of like invent all kinds of things to be scary about. Kind of like outdoors and and growing up in finland where pretty much every family has a summer cabin you spend your summers by a lake uh, surrounded by forest deep dark water like i love water and i i I love swimming but but there is always this kind of like when when you let your imagination go you can start to imagine all kinds of horrible things lurking (laughs) in the depth and just kind of like when the fall time comes then suddenly it gets dark earlier and earlier and and being in a forest in in the dark yeah i mean it, it's it's it really is those primitive things that we are very kind of naturally tapped into where where your imagination starts to fill in things and and put in scary things that to me still is a big part of inspiration Alan Wake particular, I, I feel, is something that, that keeps on drawing from, from all of that. Prior to your involvement with Remedy to Sam, what was your professional goal? Were you were you a teacher? Were you pursuing writing at any capacity there? I was writing and, and mostly around the role-playing games. I was at the Helsinki University studying the English language and literature. And, and around that time, Remedy was founded and, and my close childhood friend also from our role-playing game group Petri Järvilehto was one of the founders of Remedy and and he reached out to me when they needed text to be written for Death Rally which was the first Remedy game Mm -hmm. and he reached out to me and asked that would I be interested in coming in and and writing because I am writing I gladly 
took that offer and here we are 28 years later and I'm still at it. I, my, I imagined like like my ambition was to be a writer to write novels. I still haven't gotten to that. Maybe maybe one day. You still got a lot of time left. Yeah. <laughs> Outside of tabletops, were you gaming on consoles or anything like that afterwards? Yeah, I mean, like like Commodore 64 was my <laughs> first gaming machine, and and I was playing a ton and and role playing games on that as well. Like Ultima 2 was like a mind blowing experience to me. I I was so kind of like excited about this idea of there being a whole world inside this game, and 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 Ultima series early on was something that I kept on following and always was just blown away by the next one adding complexity and 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 size to the world so two three four five six probably were the ones that i was like fully fully kind of like a big big fan of and and other games as well then i feel that that maybe maybe i kind of drifted i i kept on playing games but maybe i wasn't that super invested and excited more about writing and more more about tabletop role playing games but but then you know come the early times at remedy then then back definitely on 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 video games around that time again so obviously sam you know you're a writer we've been talking about writing and with alan wake specifically in writing and the author himself being at the center of the horror of alan wake where did those threads of inspiration come from initially was it uh, any personal experience or anything like that Alan Wake does feel personal to me, uh, always has. It was a struggle to get to this concept uh, and took us a lot of time and, and, and trial and error and, and looking for the concept. Coming out of uh, the Max Payne games, I really felt that it's important for me storytelling wise to go kind of like one layer deeper into the story and, and the meaning of the story. And I really, really, after Max Payne, I I wanted for us to have a hero character in the game who is not a professional action hero. And and that to me felt like, well, then we are doing something new and something different. And and yeah, out of that idea, Alan Wake, the writer, was born. A lot of inspiration for the character comes from Stephen King, comes from his writing, comes from him as a person like like as he outlines tells about his struggles in in his kind of autobiographical writing guide on writing where he goes on to say that basically like him struggling with alcoholism and 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 substance abuse and his life spiraling out of control led him to write the characters of the shining and misery and 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 that in many ways was a big part of the inspiration on on building Alan Wake as a as a character. So how does your own writing process look? Are you a big outliner? Or do you just like to go with the flow and fix it later? I'm more of an architect. I feel that's in some ways necessary working on video games because it's such a big team effort always, and 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 also like work is happening way before we actually have a finished screenplay you know so so it yeah. kind of forces you to have an idea of the story have a synopsis of the story and a treatment of the story and and an outline earlier so so that kind of means means that you need to kind of draft it out 
I, I love working on whiteboard or chalkboard. My process usually is that, that just as a skeleton of it, I map out the turning points of a three-act structure. I map out almost similar but slightly different beats of hero's journey. And, and what I these days also add is the idea of five stages of grief. And I have these at the top of, of the board. And then I start like doing a big mind map. Those are just kind of loose reminders to me that, that if I get lost or stuck, something in that might help me when I think about the specific place where we are. And then I just do a crazy wall out of that by like <laughs> adding notes and details and all kinds of ideas. And once it's full, I type it up and wipe it clean and start again and keep on adding stuff. And, and that leads to outline and that leads to synopsis and, and a full-blown treatment which I like to do these days. Like, like it's it can be 30 pages, 50 pages of just the story written out in detail. And then out of that, we go to screenplay and, and write the screenplay. Just curious, how different would you say that, say the first draft of Alan Wake was from the final product? The original the, game. The original game, yes. We were struggling. First of all, like coming out of Max Payne, it felt like that curse of the second album that, that we had had a lot of success. Then we were kind of like cocky in a way that, well, now we know how this is done and now we can do our dream project. Not that Max Payne wouldn't have been that, but, but, and, and that leads to a lot of trouble. And, and we were going through concept after concept after concept and not being happy or somebody in the kind of like, I, I was working with Petri closely on that and one of us wasn't happy and then we moved to a new one then finally once we had alan wake it still was like we were aiming to do a free roaming open world that was a lot of struggle and then we decided to kind of like step away from that and go into more linear structure and along the way as we struggled i was writing different versions of the story trying to support the design trying to help with the design and so there were lot of different versions of it but the interesting thing about all of these you know interestingly going around in a loop the final version the final actual synopsis of the story ended up being quite close to the original one if we kind of ended up going a full circle and and landing very close to where we began and and then it's just like i felt really satisfied at the end that this is the story we we really want to tell and i i really want to tell I think Alan Wake released in 2010. You had uh, The American Nightmare in 2012. So we're over a decade away from our introduction to Alan Wake. Why was now the right time for a continuation? It's not for the lack of trying. <laughs> the plan always was to do a sequel. That was a big part of leaving him in a cliffhanger in the dark place. But making video games can be very challenging. And, and these are big, big projects. And, and they need the right partners. Many things need to click into place. So, so we had a concept early on. It was clear that, that it was not happening at that time. We ended up creating Quantum Break instead. And, and some of those ideas went into American Nightmare, but in a much reduced manner. Then after Quantum Break, we created another concept. And ultimately, at that point, we felt that doesn't feel like Alan Wake enough. But there were elements there that we ended up spinning into a brand new IP, which ended up being Control. At that point also, because it kind of started out as a concept of Alan Wake, 
we also kind of like decided that it's it's in the same world as Alan Wake and Alan Wake details about Alan Wake can be found in control but we kept it a secret we didn't want to say tell that to anyone beforehand because we wanted control to you know stand on its own two feet but it was there and around that time we also got the publishing rights of the original Alan Wake back from Microsoft so so that led us to this plan of like first of all there is Remedy Connected Universe Control and Alan Wake in the same world now we can do a remastered version on on all the platforms for the original game and at the same time we can now have control and controls dlc set up the sequel and and actually do the sequel so everything was coming together and and the time just was perfect and right for this we're all excited for it i can't tell you how often my friends and i would just it's not a lake it's an ocean you know it's just a thing that we throw out to each other you know such a great ending Techno- that. so uh, with the technological advancements you know there's been a lot going on since the first alan week yeah. How do you balance bringing new, fresh aspects to gameplay while remaining faithful to what made the first game a success? That's a big part of it. And somehow I felt that kind of just clicked together very instinctively and naturally. Uh, and, and maybe it's all the bend up energy along the way and all these concepts along the way. Modern technology allows us definitely to do things that we could never have done before. Things like both Alan Wake and Saga Anderson are two playable characters. You can you can with the press of a button instantly go into their kind of mental space. With Saga, it's her mind place where she kind of is putting together clues of the investigation. With Alan Wake, it's his writer's room where he's crafting the story to affect the dark place around him. That would not have been possible with with kind of previous generations of of tech. Like like now we can do these things instantly and and also switch between playing Saga and and, and Alan Wake. A lot of the structure of the game is, is, is based on what we can now do. And yeah, the game genre is different. So, so Alan Wake 2, uh, Alan Wake, the original one, even if it had horror elements to it, it was still an action adventure gameplay wise a lot of action in it now we are actually doing a survival horror game and it just feels like this is a perfect match for between story and gameplay a lot more connection points between them it is a sequel and it's a remedy remedy connected universe crossover event between alan wake and 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 control and yet it's important to us that it's standalone enough so that kind of like players who have never played remedy games before can still come to Alan Wake to understand enough, enjoy it, have a great thrill ride with it. And that's partly the reason why we have a new hero character coming into this, Saga Anderson. She doesn't know anything about the supernatural lore related to Alan Wake, and, and she takes us into this story. So, so as she is learning, we are learning with her. I wanted to ask you specifically about Matthew as Alan with the first game. When you guys called him in, did you know that it was him initially from the read? We did proper casting round with New York-based actors, and and that comes from the history with Max Payne because all the all the voiceover actors for for Max Payne were were New York-based, and because that was what we knew and how we, we had done it before we had casting sessions held in New York for Alan Wake. And and Matt was one of the actors who came in to do a read. And we just felt that that was a slam dunk and 
perfect how he does his kind of like voice of a narration which was a big part for me as a tool for storytelling like coming out of Max Payne obviously that's a huge part with James McCaffrey's voice and coming to Alan Wake I wanted to do that but in a different way which led to the idea of well he's a writer he's a storyteller and and in a way he's reading the story he's writing and that's mm-hmm. the narration Matt did it in such a fantastic way like that there was no contest and we immediately wanted to work with him Right, and Matthew returns in the sequel as Alan. You know, it's been 13 years for the character. Did you give him any direction on how Alan has changed mentally or physically since the events of the first game? A lot. We spend a lot of time on that. And and obviously, like, I have worked with Matt in between. Like, like we brought him in for control as, mm. as the darling and had a lot of fun with that. And through all of these years, whenever we have been working on a concept, like, a new concept for Alan Wake 2. I've always been in touch with Matt. He's always done some lines for our kind of concept. So it's been a kind of a more or less an un- uninterrupted behind the scenes relationship with him through these years. And Ilka Vili as well, who, who is the physical actor of the character, you know, them together kind of like exploring it from different angles. To me, the, the idea always was in the sequel that we will kind of like find Alan Wake quite raw. Having been in this nightmare, stuck in the nightmare for 13 years, it has left the mark. And we are kind of peeling away the layers of the character, getting deeper in his his mind and, and discovering new aspects of the character. That That was kind of a starting point for it. And, and then we were exploring in, in recording sessions, kind of like new kind of tonal elements to kind of communicate this. So that decision to add, you know, a new playable character to the game, was that a big talking point for you guys? Was there a lot of arguments back and forth or was it just that was from it from the beginning? I've been always interested about that. And and if you look at our games, like like we've tried different things with that, obviously all the way back to Max Payne 2, where Mona Sachs is a playable character for a couple of missions. And Quantum Break, then we had Paul Serene, the bad guy, playable in certain small sequences for kind of branching, branching the narrative. That's been kind of like looking for opportunities for that and to me i wanted to have a lot of ambition in the interactive narrative and and storytelling for alan wake 2 and a key part of that i felt was having two equal playable characters around the same story and and what that gives us is that we have two point of points of view into what's going on and especially because there is a big aspect of psychological horror and and we are questioning what's real and what's fiction and what's what it, what is happening to reality and and you know are we actually remembering things right or or are our thoughts being manipulated it gives us a lot more storytelling bandwidth to have two characters who are looking at it from different perspectives and and that to me was the important starting point into thinking about two different characters that storytelling bandwidth you're talking about just switching from either perspective at any time what kind of challenges did that present to the writing team for you guys it was a challenge (laughs) 
and it, and it took took some time to figure out what are the tools in our tool set and 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 what are the rules that we need to follow and and ultimately that's the thing with interactive storytelling is that you need to give up certain aspects of control control <laughs> being a big part of obviously crafting a, a suspense story having having the player choose things like you you are giving away control but what you are what you are getting in return is really really invested and engaged audience which in in turn gives you a lot what was the discovery on the idea that you can choose the pacing you can choose in which order and how far you are following each character it meant that between Alan Wake in The Dark Place and Saga Anderson in the Pacific Northwest, we didn't want any cliffhangers and, and any twists for that side of the story. Like the natural thing, obviously crafting a linear story out of these two worlds and two characters would be you take the character into a surprising twist and cliffhanger and then you force a transition to the other character going like meanwhile. And that was out of question because like, like that, we didn't want to. But in return, like what the idea was that because there are a lot of dreamlike elements to this and, and, and vision-like elements to this, we can have a lot of these creepy setups and echoes between these stories. They are very connected. But the idea is that depending on how you play and how far you advance on one side, you will be seeing these echoes. You will be seeing some visions like like linking it to the other side. You might get it as foreshadowing or you might get it as a callback. And either way, it, it does work and adds to your understanding of the story. You touched on this a bit earlier. There's been uh, you guys hinted and kind of sprinkle in Alan Wake and Max Payne together, you know, sometimes. Will we ever see Max Payne and Alan Wayne physically together on the well, well, no, and 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 that's a, that's a simple answer in in the sense that that Remedy Connected Universe is Alan Wake and Control, mm. and, and those are the IPs that Remedy owns, and 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 that's as clear as that. We do have a detective character in this story that I am lending my physical likeness and 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 acting as him and and we have James McCaffrey as the voice of the character and and that character is Alex Casey who is at least up to this point a fictional character from the best-selling novels that that Alan Wake has made his success on as a writer but now because the dreamlike nature of the dark place is what it is Alex Casey seems to be haunting the dark place and Alan Wake there. Also, very mysteriously, Saga Anderson's FBI partner is called Alex Casey. The open question is, like, what's the connection and how does this work? But let's keep that as a mystery for the players going in uh, to discover. So Alan Wake, when it comes out, it's one of the set the bar high for horror suspense games. So how did you guys want to ensure that the second the sequel is, you know, equally as unsettling? If not more. Yeah, more. <laughs> <laughs> that was definitely the goal. And 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 also like if you go back to original Alan Wake, it was a teen rated game and, and it, it was an action adventure, even with creepy horror elements to it. But our our kind of initial design and, and decision on this was to create a proper horror game uh, with a mature rating. And and that just kind of like 
liberated us that that we don't we don't need to kind of be censoring our ideas or doing compromises we can go just as far as we feel serves the experience and serves the story coming out of control as well control having also these horror elements or cosmic horror elements and and a lot of atmosphere learnings on how to build you know intensifying creepy atmosphere all of that was taken and and if anything pushed even even further in Alan Wake 2 well, just to back up one second Sam uh, what about Max Payne specifically what about the uh, the origins or the nuggets of inspiration you had for that character for Max Payne originally like going all the way back I am a big fan of hard-boiled detective fiction I, I love this kind of archetypal character of a private eye i absolutely adore classic film noir films you know humphrey bogart mm. and all of that so so all of that to me was a big part of inspiration that goes to the narration of of the character narrating the events with a lot of metaphors and a lot of pulpy style with that and and also a lot of the aesthetics of of this kind of a urban crime-ridden nightmare the version of new york you have in in the game so so yeah throwing from a lot of that and and now in some ways like coming to alan wake 2 and having his hardball fiction you know alan wake's hardball fiction kind of like haunt him in the dark place like I've, I've gone back to a lot of the same inspiration that i was drawing from early on and 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 Maybe with certain tonal twists, this being a horror experience, but but a lot of my love to that kind of material is very much present in Alan Wake 2 as well. What was the best at writing advice you've received in your career and who gave it to you? Ah, that's 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 an that's a that's a good question. There are so many learnings along the way. I, I went to study screenwriting at Theatre Academy of Finland towards the end of the original Max Payne game. Trauma teacher there, Pentti Halonen, was a wonderful, wonderful teacher. I felt that's really where I learned. That was between Max Payne 1 and Max Payne 2. And I felt that, that suddenly I was in a school where I, I had meant to be always and, and, and felt that I was learning so many different things out of that. I struggled to come up with a specific one thing. This is something I like to ask everyone just because you never know. Have you ever had an experience that you would consider supernatural or paranormal? <laughs> no, I have not. But I always feel that that kind of like, I mean, it's very interesting to me how how us as people are yearning for that and, and, and very kind of like eager to interpret more meaning into things that happen to them uh, and 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 kind of like imagine things that's very natural to us and 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 drawing from those feelings and ideas for fiction uh, I, I I think that that's that's an essential part of, of, of writing stories like this I, I love it and and I'm I'm fascinated by it but at the same time uh, yeah no no and I I have to say that I don't really believe other than I, I, I fully believe. I, I, I think that there is this contradiction in our existence is that, that we live in this world. I, I fully think that we don't understand a lot of things like, like we, are, we, are, we are learning and, and 
there, there are so many things that we don't really understand and know. And at the same time, like through our imaginations and through concepts, the conceptual reality, all of these things like religions and myths and all, they are just as true as everything else. Like, And they, they guide us people and they have affected our history in such a fundamental ways, like religion, like what kind of wars have been fought and what kind of incredible feats of architecture have been built in, in to honor the things that we worship that would not have been possible or would not have the horror of it and, and the beauty of it, both sides, because of things that we believe. So clearly they exist on some level, very clearly, but at the same time, not necessarily the way I feel that people are eager to think that they exist. Well said. So uh, Sam, out of all the projects you've worked on, what would you consider to be the most challenging as the one that you lost the most sleep over? <laughs> All of them. <laughs> it, 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 it is challenging, and it's it's always a, like such a massive effort creating these games. This one, Alan Wake Two, coming out of it, almost out of it, having spent first of all over ten years trying to make it happen, and 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 now the past four plus years, just like you know, long hours working on it. It's it's always it's always wonderful. It's always so rewarding and at the same time so frustrating and and so hard. All of that at the same time. I guess that's what reality is. Well, Sam, uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, man. Um, it, it, it it was a joy. Thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, just to put a bow on everything here, what's on the horizon for you? You got Alan Wheat coming out October twenty seventh. Is there anything else on your we, plate? We are we are we are we are already working on on downloadable uh, episodes that come after. And 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 like it's been such a push, such an effort, all in like like passionately wanting to put so much ambition into this. Next year, I'm gonna take several months off and 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 do a bit of a break and and recharge and go through my towering piles of backlog on on reading books and playing games that I have not had time to get to. You do that, Sam. You you uh, deserve it, man. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you, you have a great rest of your day. Likewise. All right, folks. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Sam. As always, thanks for listening, and we'll see you back next time. Monsters, madness, and magic. <laughs> Welcome to the night. You think you know Night Demon? Then the Night Demon Heavy Metal Podcast is for you. Step into the darkness as we peel back the curtain to give you an unprecedented, all-access look into the mind and the heart of the demon. We're talking band history, song analysis, studio anecdotes, stories from the road. It's everything a diehard Night Demon fan could want and more. This is the only place to learn the inside scoop, the deep dive trivia, the untold tales from the band members themselves and those closest to the Night Demon story. Need more? The sacred Night Demon crypt will be pried open to reveal demo recordings that have never before seen the light of day. All with in-depth commentary by the band and the people who were there for the writing and recording process. This is a gold mine, a treasure trove of all things Night Demon. Head over to nightdemon.net 
or wherever you listen to podcasts.